Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Welcome, everybody, to the last, yeah, I know, but it is, the last motorsport podcast of 2010. A very happy Christmas to all of you. I hope you have a great time, and also congratulations, of course, to Sebastian Vettel, the new world champion, and to Red Bull for taking the Constructors' Championship, two championships in one season for Red Bull, a fantastic year. The right man won, Nigel, yes, no? Um, well, certainly the right car one, without any question. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, it's a long, God knows how many years since I can remember a car that was that much quantifiably better than its, uh, than its opposition. Um, I'm sort of, uh, you know, slightly equivocal about it. I mean, I, you know, Vettel is an absolutely fantastic driver and he's going to be one of the all time greats without a doubt. Um, I guess I would have preferred to see Mark Webber win it because Mark is 12 years older and he may never get another chance. You can see Vettel getting a hatful of, uh, of titles. Um, what are your reservations and about, I think, about Vettel? I mean, I, my reservations about Vettel? Um, none, really. Um, I, I mean, I, I think we saw, oddly enough, I think we started to see the old Vettel again towards the end of the season. Um, I think we'd all started to tire rather of the, the sort of um, you know bad-tempered kid we we uh, mm. we sometimes saw and I know very much certainly the team sometimes got tired of the bad-tempered kid um, but you know he's 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 an absolutely he's just a brilliant natural talent um, I still believe that Alonso is the most complete driver in Formula One um, and I don't see anything on the immediate horizon that's going to going to change that but I honestly think, you know, any one of those four who went to Abu Dhabi would have been, you know, would have been a worthy world champion in 2010. Damien, the editor's view. It would have been quite an own goal if a Red Bull driver hadn't won the race, uh, won the championship, because, you know, they, they did have the fastest car. Um, having said that, you can't, you can't um, take it away from Sebastian because uh, over the last quarter of the season, he was the man to beat and... Um, he was the quick, quickest driver out there. I think he, you know early, there were a few mistakes this year where uh, he could have thrown it away easily, and we thought he had thrown it away. I think after Spa um, when he when he hit Jensen Button that time, I think it looked like he was uh, he was going to blow it. Um, and I think he deserves credit for recovering from that um, because I think mentally he must have been a long way down after that race. So I, I think he I think he deserves it. But um, um, yeah, I, I agree with Nigel. There's any one of those those four would have deserved it um, had it fallen differently in Abu Dhabi. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, he is the 2010 world champion, so congratulations to every single person at Red Bull 
up there in Milton Keynes in England. Terrific season. Let's look back at it then, shall we? Let's look back at uh, the season as a whole. We are talking to you today from our local pub, which is called The Ram in Chelsea, in London, down by the river. So thanks to The Ram for having us. And uh, we are going to have a look back on what surely has been if not the most, one of the most exciting seasons of Grand Prix racing ever. And uh, to guide us through this, we have our veteran Grand Prix writer, Nigel Roback, a man of huge experience, and as P.J. O'Rourke was always telling us, age and experience sure as hell beat a new haircut. We also have with us our esteemed editor, Damien Smith, who has chosen our topics for today, as he rightly should, and of course... Ed Foster, who looks after everything to do with our pods and the casting of them. So, let's begin with Vettel and Weber. Surely one of the talking points of the season. Was it an inconvenient truth, this partnership? Well, Weber even said that himself. The team with the quickest car expected its young superstar to be the number one this year, didn't it? But it was the 30-something Aussie who led the championship right through the summer, not 23-year-old Vettel. This was not in the Red Bull script, and team boss Christian Horner had a tough job improvising as the story got, well, stickier and stickier, particularly at the twin peaks of Istanbul and Silverstone. Was it an inconvenient truth, this partnership? Nigel Roebuck. I think to a degree, yes. Um, I... It's a dip, you occasionally you get a situation where there is a team, and it's perceived that the team has uh, a driver, and the other guy is always the other driver. I think we were all aware of it, for instance, in the McLaren era when Hakkinen was there with uh, with Coulthard. Um, we were certainly aware of it in the Schumacher Ferrari era, no matter who his teammate was. Um, and I don't think. In the case of Red Bull, it's maybe as, as quite as uh, as open. it's certainly not as overt as Ferrari was in those days. But I mean, like it or not, you know, there are reasons why Vettel could be considered the the favoured one. He was he was brought on by Helmut Marco, you know, from way way back from, from being a kid. Um, he's young. He's German speaking. Red Bull is is an Austrian company. Um, and he's, you know, he's going to be around. He's going to be driving for that team probably for a long, long time. Um, Mark Weber, on the other hand, is getting into his mid thirties, um, and he's had a completely different. Um, I hate to use the word journey. God help me to 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 where he is now, in the sense that. Uh, I think there's a perception that Vettel, to some degree, has had it easy. Of course, you've got to be able to do the job. But he was brought on and brought on and brought on, and everything was gone to the next step, the next step, the next step. Everything was paid for. And it was all quite seamless and quite straightforward. And, of course, he had this fantastic talent, fundamental talent. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mark, you know, had none of that. So Mark has, Mark has fought and grafted... Um, you know, every step of the way. And I don't think that's... I'm not making out... Uh, I'm not saying that in a, a sort of... Forgive me, a Graham Hill sense of the word. Um, because I think Mark's natural talent is very high. 
which I never thought Graham Hills was particularly. I thought Graham did it with hard work and, and ab- you know, admirable in itself. Mark has had to do the hard work, but I, but I think he, he has always been, a, a, you know, his talent level is, is, is very high. Um, but I think after the uh, Weber's last year before Vettel came into Red Bull, he, he had had a slightly sort of poor end to the season. Um, and poor season that year, and I think everyone slightly perceived Vettel just to blow him away, apart from Weber. I think that's true. Himself, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and of course they, you know, they didn't get off on the greatest step those two, did they? When uh, was it in? Uh, was it Shanghai, where uh, running behind the pace car when um, Mark was running? I think Mark was running second, and Sebastian was right behind him and ran into the back of him behind the safety car, and both out on the spot. So. I think that was the first time Mark was moved to make remarks about um, this is like Mario wishes to say you know in that in those situations it's what happens when you have a boy trying to do a man's job <laughs> the, thing, the thing about Mark Webber though is that he he always um, dominated his teammates in every team he was in yeah. he would psychologically get on top of them very early on and would put them in their place and I think this time it's been harder for him because he's come up against someone who is top class um, it's noticeable that early in the season, when Mark was actually putting in great performances against Sebastian, was outpacing him. <clears throat> I think he used that within the team psychologically to put more pressure on Sebastian by saying to him, "Hey, mate, you know, you're supposed to be the wonder kid, and I'm, you know, here's me beating you. What's going on? You know, just putting questions in Sebastian's head the whole time." Yeah, I mean, he didn't even have to say it. No, you know, he, he was at a race like Monte Carlo, for instance. Mm. You know, the one everyone wants. I don't know how many safety cars we had that afternoon, but it was a good few. Mm. And every time they restarted, Mark just calmly disappeared again. Uh, and I certainly, at that stage, had the impression Vettel was a bit nonplussed. Because yeah. <laughs> he is one of those drivers who, you know, if somebody's quicker than he is in the same car, fundamentally there's something wrong. Yeah. But he was, wasn't he complaining about having a chassis problem <laughs> for that sort of mid yeah, part he was. of the year? Yeah, he was. But, I mean, how much truth was in that? Was that well, an excuse? Uh, it, it, it may, there may well have been some, you know, some validity um, to it. Um, I, I, I can't comment further on that. I think, I, th- I think, my feeling about Mark is when you know when Mark is really on it, he's he's almost unbeatable. Um, and the sort of Spain and Monaco uh, and Silverstone. It's quite hard to imagine Mark getting beaten, you know, in any of those three races this year. Hungary was a, was a slightly different win, but, um, but the same was true of Sebastian and Suzuka, and yep, and, and in Brazil, really, I absolutely. Mean, you know, so I think you know they, they say about the new Schumacher thing, which is a little bit glib uh, as a, as a line to, to use about him. But I think there are some parallels to early Schumacher in terms of Schumacher's Benetton days, where he would. Um, you could see the quality and the, the talent there, but he would make big mistakes in, in, in racecraft. He would upset other drivers. He didn't like losing. All these things we see in Sebastian, they're, they're the, definitely yeah. there I are mean, some parallels there. I mean, some of the moves that he pulled off on, you know, a lot of the starting grids and just chopping across was, you know, they were they should have been picked up on. I think definitely. Yeah, particularly Hockenheim. Yeah, because in fact that was what led to all the controversy in Germany because. He chopped across Alonso so outrageously that, it, in fact, all it did was delay both of them, uh, which allowed Massa to snick round the outside of the pair of them and mm. take the lead, which, of course, led to the team orders controversy later on. 
One thing but I that's uh, that man behaving like that. Well, it's not just Vettel. Any of them behaving like that, that has come from Michael Schumacher. No question. Mm. He patented it. And, well, and a Senna a bit, I think. Yeah, but Senna away from, away from a grid was, was, was not, uh, was not as, as overt as that. But how do we think um, Christian Horner handled the management of the, of the two drivers? Because he had a very difficult situation. He had Helmut Marko in one corner who's got Dietrich Mateschitz's ear, um, you know, backing Vettel to the hilt. Um, Weber l- lifting his level of performance beyond what anyone expected to. I, th- I think uh, with uh, um, Christian, it was sort of a situation of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, when you've got two drivers that, like Weber and Vettel, have just been on it this year, and a car that's comfortably quicker than every other car on the grid, if you, you know, any mistakes, everyone is going to start screaming at you saying, you know, well, this happened, this happened, but just because you're in the limelight and everyone feels that there are no excuses if your car's out fast then why aren't you winning every Grand Prix which isn't Grand Prix racing so I think he's done very well considering the situation he's had and you know I mean both of them are quite spiky characters and Weber you know come across the radio and you know I'm not bad for number two driver and you know things like that didn't sort of really help him too much but no I think he's yeah I think he's done a good job and you, you know we do forget that a lot of the other team principals are much older with them a lot more experience and really before he came into Formula 1 He's yeah, been sort of, you know, done to Arden and things like that, but not compared to all the other guys on the grid. Mm. I think, I mean, the, you know, what strikes me is the... You, you think of Red Bull this season, of course you think of races both drivers have conclusively won, dominated, but you also think of one that was tossed away, which was, which was Istanbul. Um, and I think it's quite easy for the outside world to understand why Weber has this perception that you know the team is fundamentally supporting the other guy because in the in the aftermath of that accident and I, I, I'm, to me anybody with eyes in their head could see that that accident was caused by Vettel because he, he turned he was alongside Mark he drew slightly ahead of him and then he turned right before he cleared him and that was the end of it and there was no argument I mean you can see at the the shop when the two cars are coming towards you it's 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 beyond plain and yet despite that Helmut Marko blamed Weber for the accident um, and I think well A was an idiotic thing to say but more to the point of course it spawned this perception that yeah yeah they are on Vettel's side aren't they and then there was the new front wing at Silverstone which you know yeah. I think was probably Christian Horner's only big mistake of the year in my view yeah. I think if he could have his time again he wouldn't have done that I don't know because I haven't asked him but I suspect that is the case and also I think Nigel you had it absolutely spot on a few minutes ago when you described why Vettel is you know is very obviously the favoured son at Red Bull I mean how can there be any how can there be any argument over this you know I mean why would he not be? Is my I think, is my question. Yeah, I think I think that's the you know that's how it feels to me. Just like it always felt the same to me in the McLaren days with Hakkinen and, and Coulthard. Um, it wasn't that anybody was antagonistic towards DC, um, and nor was it the fact that you know Mika or Mika had better equipment than uh, than David. It, it, it just wasn't like that. I'm, and David himself always believed, quite rightly, I think, that he had exactly what Mika had. But it was just the way he felt within the team. 
And there was one particular occasion when David, David told me about when he when he he had got pole, and right at the end of the session, Mika beat it, uh, and he was dismayed by the reaction by a lot of the people in the team. Let's move on then to Ferrari. Can't talk about a Grand Prix season without a Ferrari. My goodness, was it um, a team order of merit? You know that team order. The biggest point of controversy in 2010, the not very coded message to Massa at Hockenheim to give the win to new Ferrari teammate Alonso. The tabloid newspaper screamed, of course, the fan forums frothed, and the FIA punished a clear breach of the rules with just, well, a modest fine. Was that because the governing body knew its rule-banning team orders was unworkable, or did Ferrari get away with the crime of the season? Um... Damien, what was your take on it? It's been talked about so much, hasn't it? But I, I still think uh, huge overreaction, and I understand why there was a big overreaction, and none of us want to see it happen. Um, but what were they to do? Massa was never going to win the World Championship this year. The way he was driving, the form he was in. Okay, Hockenheim, he drove very well, um, but he was in the lead because of the circumstances at the start between uh, Vettel and Alonso. The reality was that Alonso was the, the was the guy that could could take the fight to to McLaren and to Red Bull. Um, this whole rule has never worked properly, and well, you, you can't enforce it, can you? I mean, it's it's not a rule that you can you can act well. You can write it down, but you know you can't tell what the teams are ordering their drivers to do. Just mm. a simple code, and that's that's yeah, thrown out the window until you can read people's minds. Also, wasn't it? But wasn't it more? Um, I thought it was more because it was so early in the season that everybody made such a fuss about it. Well, in in, in part, it was um, because of that. But but you know, some some people appear to be unaware of the fact that um, it was only the Schumacher Barrichello scandal in Austria, and to my mind, that was a scandal. That was literally a guy moving over mm-hmm. 20 feet before the line uh, on strict instructions to let a guy win who already had an enormous lead in the World Championship comparatively early in the season. So that, that really was just you know, beyond the pale. Yeah. I think in this situation, it was, was entirely different. If you look back to the circumstances of Hockenheim, Ferrari had had a, had had a terrible run both of poor reliability and bad luck and mistakes and whatnot, and they were you know effectively sort of out of the championship hunt um, and to me, it was no more than common sense to uh, you know to conclude that well with the best one in the world, you know massa just ain 't going to do it um, if we are going to have a world champion this year, it can only be alonso. Uh, in that particular race, as I say, if it hadn't been for Vettel's messing about at the start, Alonso would have been ahead of Massa from the beginning anyway. So I think Ferrari... Ferrari, Ferrari always said, you know, at Ferrari, the team always comes first. Yeah. And, and the strange thing is all these people who built this great hue and cry about, you know, oh, it's dreadful and it shouldn't happen and all the rest of it. No, of course, it's not it's something you want to see happen. But, you know, Ferrari neither Ferrari nor McLaren nor Red Bull nor anybody are doing this to provide entertainment for the public they're, they're doing this to win it's a, it's a serious mm-hmm. business it's not a serious endeavour it's not a, not a game mm-hmm. um, so I think 
you know, they were entirely justified in doing what they're doing. Team orders have always, always been part of Formula One. And had they not been, (laughs) Mike Hawthorne and John Surtees would never have been world champions. No, except they broke the rule and they were taken to court for breaking the rule. Yeah, and quite quite rightly. Uh, No, but then they weren't really punished, were they? Not, Not when you look back at the McLaren fine. No, and and, and yeah. certainly not as much as Max Mosley, who he would have would have uh, <laughs> would have wished. Um, but that was out of um hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, uh, the stratosphere anyway, wasn't well, it? Well, it was. In, yeah. in terms of punishments, it was, it had, there was no precedent for a fine that big. And no. The, 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 no. It's going to be always seen as a one-off, hopefully. Yeah. But what does oh. it say to everybody else? If you break the rule, you go to court, and then you're based, to all intents and purposes, you're let off pretty much. Okay, a few thousand, whatever it was. But, but I, I think it's because they realise the rule is so unworkable. I mean, it's got to, that's got to have something to do with it, because if it's just a standard breaking of the rules, then fine. But the fact that they know they can't enforce it, they know that other teams are doing it. You know, if, if they set a huge fine, Fry is going to say, well, you know, all these guys are doing it, they're just using code. Why, why aren't you finding them? You should be finding them. And the, the, the mistake that Ferrari made was to not rein in Rob Smedley and yeah. tell him what to say. And that was, the, uh, that was the mistake they made. It wasn't breaking the rules because everyone's doing it. Mm. Mm. Ferrari being too honest about something. That's, that's <laughs> a new one. <laughs> and, and, Mac, and Max mostly being against them, which is also a new yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> but one, one thing that we can, we can rule out is that this wasn't the case of Ferrari favouritism by the FIA because Jean Todd is no great lover of Ferrari these days is he you know um, no. that, that love affair is long, long over yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say the saddest thing to come out of it though is what it's obviously done to Felipe mentally because the second half of the season he's just dropped away but he wasn't he wasn't, he wasn't great in the first half of the season well, he, had some no. good, uh, he had some good drives considering he was coming back from a head injury but yeah. it's just since then it's really mm. tumbled well you know Brazil was a case in point you know he He'd never, in Brazil, in a Ferrari, started from other than pole position until this year. I take the opposite view. I think the result was very good in the sense that we had Alonso fighting for the World Championship. Made it much more exciting. Oh, ab- no, absolutely. But, but, but on the other hand, I mean, there have been all this suggestion that, you know, Massa was going to step up to the plate and help him, as he did Kimi Raikkonen three years ago. You know, now explain that to me. He, he, he let Raikkonen by to win the World Championship in 07 and... As I recall, not a word of criticism came anybody's way. Because it was the last race, I suppose. People think there's a different rule for the last race. It's well, not, it's not written, is it? No, it's and there probably wasn't a radio message either. No. It's probably just implicit, you know, as it, as it was with Rubens Barrichello all those years with Michael. If you were ever going to have a season where team orders 
was a regular occurrence. Surely this was this was this is going to be it, isn't it? Twenty ten. I mean, look at the people at the top of the championship. What are they going to do? They can't have two people winning the world championship. I, I think it was also as you know as we were saying, but it's the fact that mathematically Hockenheim both can still win the world championship but you know it's a sensible decision but it's when both drivers can still win that you know it obviously goes down a lot, a lot worse well I think you've got to you know look to 1986 when Williams had clearly incomparably the fastest car much as Red Bull have had uh, and both drivers Piquet and Mansell both in with a strong shot at the championship and they went. To the two of them went to the last race, together with Prost. Um, and we know what happened, don't we? Prost, we do, and Prost, it was, Prost won. And it was extremely exciting. Wasn't it was it? extremely exciting. And actually, I, I think I still think of that as the last year when uh, we had a world champion in other than the best car. Let's move on. Button versus Hamilton at McLaren. The perfect team? Well, at first we wondered if it would be a rerun of Prost and Senna. The reality was more Hill against Clark at Lotus. Two British world champions who got on well together, paired in Britain's most famous team. The combination of intelligent, super smooth, at ease with himself Button and tough, super fast, edgy Hamilton worked well for Martin Whitmarsh's McLaren. And not just for the marketing department either. Um... Damien, it was all a bit strange to begin with, wasn't it, seeing two drivers getting on so well together? Yes, I mean, I guess everyone probably rubbed their hands at the prospect of what could be coming up when you've got you know, the reigning world champion coming into the team. Everyone said, is he mad? It's Lewis's team. We know what sort of tough character Lewis is to work with. He, you know, We thought this was going to be fireworks, but, of course, what we didn't take into account was that, that Jensen is just incredibly at ease with himself, very confident. He knows who he is, what he's capable of, and he wasn't going to be rattled by the fact that he knew that he knew going in that Lewis was going to be quicker on occasion, that um, probably on more occasions than not, Lewis would, would set the pace in qualifying. Jensen isn't a great qualifier. But he was, I think, coming off the back of the championship with Braun last year, he was just ready for something else. Clearly something went wrong there with, with Ross yeah. Braun, um, which has never been fully explained in public. Um, he was ready for the change, and he fitted into McLaren so well. And they, they love him because he's such a easy guy to work with. Um, and I don't think he's always been given enough credit for his work ethic um, behind the scenes. Um, mechanics love him. The engineers love him. And um, it turned out to be a, a very good mix, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, when we were saying possibly... I mean, I must confess I was, I was one of those who thought, God, Jensen, what, you know, is this a good idea? Uh, when he did what he did of course it turns out that it was an extremely good idea um, but I think we, when we were looking ahead and seeing possibly a Prost-Senna situation um, we were looking at it in terms of driving and results as well as you know, rather than more than you know, in, in terms of personalities and in point of fact I think as far as driving is concerned and what they've achieved this year it's been remarkably like Prost and Senna uh, the difference being that you know that, that Lewis and Jensen get, actually you know get along get and get along get along well. Um, I think you know Jensen's victories in, uh, in the early part of the year they were they were classic Prost sort of wins. I don't I think I have always looked upon Jensen as a sort of lesser Prost 
I'm not, it's not to denigrate him at all, because I think Prost is one of the very greatest of all time. But I think in many, many ways they're very similar. Smooth driving style and, and, uh, and everything else. But I, 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 I actually think I, think... I think Lewis has benefited hugely from Jensen's uh, presence and, and, and admits it himself, not least in terms of what to say, how to behave... Um, you know, it's been, it's been a sea change this year. Lewis has been without his father, um, and uh, and with Jensen, and I, and I, and I, yeah. And I mean, I mean, there's no question about it. Lewis, Lewis has been a much, much looser, you know, more relaxed uh, individual this year than uh, than any time I've ever seen him in the past. The thing that's really surprised me is just how badly Button has qualified this year, especially towards the end of the season. I mean, I well, just look how look how he qualified at the end of last season. Yeah, but I don't when, get when it. the World Championship was back. Yeah, I don't just get it. I don't understand what's going on here. I mean, why can't he qualify properly? I think recently the car he hasn't been very happy with the car, and. He's he's just got a, he's buses one of those drivers who has quite a small window in which he gets a maximum out of it, and if everything's suited to him, he will go out there and he'll be unbeatable. But with a with the crown, I don't think it's, that's quite been the case. The end of the well, especially the second half of the season. Um, and Lewis is well known for going out there and wringing the car's neck and getting performance out of it that shouldn't be there. And I think that's why he's made you know a couple of mistakes later on in the season. Just because you know he's he's got to drive beyond the car's limits. And there's one thing that Nigel, you've you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, a comparison to the past again, Lewis and Gilles Villeneuve. In absolutely the sense yeah. that he's he's absolutely flat out the whole time. Um, absolutely, and there's no compromise. With no, him. no, 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 absolutely. Which I think is a great thing about Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. But in fact, we, you know, we talked about Prost and we've we talked about Hill Clark uh, as comparisons with this. You could also make a case for saying Villeneuve. Gilles Villeneuve and Jody Schechter yeah. Um, yeah. very similar but on the other hand I hear what you're all saying about this uh, about Button but I mean he's re- he puts himself on the back foot so badly with this poor qualifying doesn't he um, in the sense that nowadays if you're not at the front of the grid you're not going to win the race no that's true although no you're not that, that, is, that is right um, and, and it's remarkable actually the number of times Jensen comes through very strongly on race day, um, as he did on, you know, in Brazil, and as and for that matter, as he did in Brazil last year, the day he won the world championship. Um, and so that you think, well, hell, you know, what the hell? If you, you what, if you can do this today, why, you know, where was, where were you yesterday? Uh, I think perhaps you know a surprise has been in the day, particularly in the second half of the season. Um, if you think about it, mid-season Lewis, Handy, Lewis Hamilton was handily in the in the lead of the championship, and I guess I've probably been surprised in the second half of the season that uh, while Ferrari have, in several instances, decide, you know discernibly closed the gap to Red Bull, McLaren don't really seem to have um, progressed, and we've become accustomed to actually to both drivers moaning uh, about their car's competitiveness, you know, the extent that Ron Dennis was moved to uh, say that he'd, he'd had enough of it. So that's been a surprise. So much so, in fact, Nigel, that, you know, in the last few races of the season, the, the little bits of, of Pitt's car radio we managed to hear were al- almost invariably Jensen Button or Lewis Hamilton telling us that, how bad the car was. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, in in, uh, in Brazil, Lewis sort of just sounded out of sorts, didn't he? The whole race, sort of downbeat and, and generally fed up. You know, haven't got any grip. Is the F duck? Is the F duck really working? Does it, do, uh, is any know? of this because they build a car for Hamilton? Which button has to drive or not? No, I don't think it's that. No, no, I don't think it's that. Um, I mean, I think probably the biggest single difference between the two is, as you said, Jensen needs the car to be right. Um, And, of course, all drivers in a perfect world want that, but but Lewis can do more with a car that's not working well. Moving on then to Michael Schumacher, obviously uh, a talking point of this season. Return of the King is what we said on the cover of Motorsport magazine in April. Oh, dear. As comebacks go, it was a disaster. But there were green shoots towards the end of the season. Was Schumacher finally getting a handle on Formula One after three years away? Maybe. And it might bode for better things next season. Whatever, his poor form in 2010 must have hurt him. And it certainly hurt Mercedes-Benz in the pocket, if nowhere else. Um, Nigel, not the world's greatest fan of Michael Schumacher, so let's start with you. No, you are you are right, Rob. Um, that's not to suggest that I, I ever thought he was other than a fantastically skilled Grand Prix driver. But the Barrichello incident in, in Hungary illustrated perfectly why I've never been a fan. Um, I think as far as this year is concerned, what I've personally grown a bit weary of was hearing from... Michael himself, but also from it seemed like everybody around him, the Mercedes people and uh, and even Ross to some degree. You know, there's this endless thing about Michael can't can't get on with the front with these front tires. Um, now, my first thought about that was, uh, you know, I I remember interviewing Ross oh, eight nine years ago. And saying to him at one point, what, what is the difference between Michael and the rest? Um, and, and Ross immediately said, it's, it's what Michael can do in adversity. It's what Michael can do with a bad car. And no question about it. I mean, he, absolutely, he absolutely believed that. And, and it, at one time, that may well have been the case. But I think it, it's a bit and a bit flimsy to sort of say well well, poor old Michael can't get on with these front tyres and I was interested to see the other week Alan Prost said um, he said well that's obviously <laughs> that's just an excuse there's no other word for it because he said the thing about Schumacher was he could always adapt to anything yeah. um, I mean, one thing I would say was um, when we had Damon Hill in for the podcast uh, he said you know when you come back and it, you know at that age and you've been out of the sport for that period of time. What he's not going to be able to do when he comes back is drive by the seat of his pants. That, you know, driving on the edge and being able to do that. He said he won't be able to do that. And it will probably frustrate him and he might well be off the pace because of it. And mm. so I suppose that's, you know. But I, yeah. but I still think, um, you know, Damien and I were talking about it earlier, that he, I think he, there is more to come from him, definitely. And there is. But the th- thing is about Michael Schumacher is this, in 2010, he was coming back into a Formula One that's been far more competitive than probably any other era. I mean, you think about when Nicky Lauda came back in. Okay, he's coming back in with turbo cars, which were very different to the, the ground effect cars he left uh, Formula One in. Uh, so, again, he had a big technical change. But I would say that uh, comparatively, 
the competitive level of Formula One has gone up uh, hugely since since those yeah. days. Yeah, and you've got more top drivers now um, to, to who are at the top top level of their game. You know, we've had five drivers fighting for the World Championship this year, plus Felipe Massa, plus Nico Rosberg, who deserves a lot of credit for what he's been doing at Mercedes. Um, and Kubica, and Kubica, we can't can't forget him. But it, you know, it, it it's just. Um, it's that, harder. That really, that's a, the, that needs that can't be said enough. I don't think. I think it seems to me it, remarkable in a way. Um, you know, Nico has somehow been again been barely noticed this this season. Somehow, here we are. We are not talking about Mercedes. We're talking about Michael Schumacher, and and Nico has comprehensively annihilated him. Um, well, I don't get about it. Sorry. And, and I, I, and I think uh, you know, uh, Nico's not had the best of luck this year. But I mean, I think I think he's had a tremendously good season, and I think it's been vastly underrated and overlooked. I think it's just there's so much going on, isn't there? But ahead of them, uh, that's that's probably part yeah, of the yeah. reason why. It, 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 it's true. Also, he also Nico Rosberg t- seems to me to go about his business with a singular lack of drama and controversy, and therefore. He's re- not really of that much interest to most sections of the media. Well, people might say that of Jensen. Except that Jensen's at McLaren, which is publicity mad, marketing mad. Jensen is in the papers with his girlfriend. I don't and think they like publicity at Mercedes. <laughs> I do, Nicky, actually, yes. In fact, I, in fact I, I know they do, but maybe, not that, maybe they don't feel this is perhaps the best publicity they could be attracting. Uh, I mean, but what I, what I don't get, maybe someone can help me here, so many top racing drivers have told me over the years that you do not forget how to do it. The, the great guys, they don't just forget how to do it. So this is what I don't understand. You, well, don't, you don't forget, but you're, there is no way that you can perform at the same level for how many years it is and, and still at the age of 41 in Formula 1. Or whatever anyone says, you, okay, he, doesn't, he hasn't forgotten how to do it in as much as if one of us went into a Formula 1 car we'd be you know we wouldn't be able to get heat in the tyres you know he hasn't forgotten how to drive a Formula 1 car but it's just that edge that I think has gone just, just faded a little uh, I mean I'll confess when I when I interviewed Alonso and we started talking about Michael um, pretty well everybody I've spoken to this year about Michael has said the same thing well you know he's 41 you know life changes the cars are different and tyres are different and you can't expect to just come back and and Fernando is adamant that if the car is the Mercedes is decent next year, and the, and the right. tires, the tires, the suit him. You yeah. bet, you bet. He will be, he will be right back. You bet. And he's, there aren't many people who say that. Well, I, I, but I, 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 I was just fascinated that Alonso did. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I'd go along with that. I'd never discount the bloke. Never, ever, ever. And it comes down, you know, Formula One comes down to having the right car, doesn't it? We saw it last year with the Braun coming out of the traps with a double diffuser, which gave Jensen the chance to do do the business. If Mercedes Benz yeah. come up with something for next next year, and there's no reason to suggest they won't, then if he's got a car advantage, Michael will be right there. Yep. Yep. If he's got a car advantage, yeah, hmm. which of course he he did have for. The, the great bulk of his Formula One career. Well, I suppose going on what Nigel's been telling us, what would be interesting were they to have the Red Bull equivalent, say next li- in twenty eleven, then what would be really interesting would be to see who did best, Rosberg or Schumacher. Yeah, I'd take Rosberg. Um, 
I would probably take Rosberg actually. Um, I, I think you know, we sh- we shouldn't be previewing 2011 just yet, but but um, I think Schumacher will get back to a level where he could possibly still win races. But I, I do wonder now over a season whether he's got it in him for another championship challenge. Having seen what we've seen this year, and I think I agree with Nigel that Nico is hugely underrated and has the chance to blossom. And uh, I'm pretty sure that with Mercedes resources. Uh, Ross Braun uh, at the helm and the team coming off the back of a bad season where they had time to look at the next car that we'll see a change completely for next year and the Mercedes will be much more competitive than they have been this year well, no, I, 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 just, I just want to close on that very briefly indeed mm-hmm. by saying that my bloggers will know that in my new year predictions I predicted that Michael Schumacher would win a race this season it's another good Good prediction of yours. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, Kimi Raikkonen would come back to Formula One. Having won the World Rally Championship. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Shall we move on? May I move on with the permission of the editor? I think we should move on. Thank yeah. you. Do you want to know one prediction I have for 2011? You don't, do you? Web will be at Ferrari. Okay, I've said it. Motorsport Magazine for the very best in motor racing.